Season two of the Let's Talk Wrestling podcast. As always, I'm your host, Kelby Bachman. And next week, August 7th through 11th, I have declared it Assistant Coaches Week. Each day, I will be releasing one episode featuring an associate head coach and assistant coach. These coaches do a lot for their sport and their respective program, so stay tuned to find out who it is. The song you just heard is Party in the USA by Miley Cyrus, and it is also the walkout song for the next guest on the show. Emma Randall. Emma is currently the head coach of the NYC RTC Women's Wrestling Program and Columbia University Women's Wrestling Club. Prior to this, she served as the head girls coach and program director for Beat the Streets NYC. Emma also was a member of USA Wrestling's national coaching staff and has coached numerous world teams at all age levels. This is all a fancy way of saying Emma is one of the best and brightest coaches in the sport, and I'm honored she allowed me a small glimpse of her thought process. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy Coach Emma Randall. What's going on? Not much. uh, Just recovering, you know, recovering from uh, Final X in in the weekend and really like trying to dive back in. Today is the deadline for USA Wrestling um, on the women's side for all the national team members to decide where they're going to go for the next, you know, month or two. So we go into like the ranking tournaments and the development tours and all of those pieces. And so trying to line up where we are with each of our women about what what they're taking advantage of. And then um, we have two weeks left here uh, in the city with our Columbia women staying to train for the summer. So making sure how are we using those next two weeks and are we planning for what's going to happen July and August as they take the reins and head home. Golly. You have a lot on your plate. How do you, <laughs> it's exciting. Do you do it all? It's a good, it's a good problem. Uh, I, I don't, you know, I feel like I scribble notes on everything and half, you know, keep, all you have to do is just try not to drop a ball, right? You don't have to always catch it correctly, but you can keep it up in the air and, and juggle to the best of your ability. So, yeah. Hey. Must have been nice to have Final X somewhat near. So, do you live in New York City? Um, I actually live in Jersey City. Um, Jersey. So, for me, uh, and same for like a meet, it was uh, two train stops, 20 minutes commute. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. Ian's obviously doesn't live here in the city because he's got his club um, in Pennsylvania, but so it's a little bit further for him, but for our RTC athletes, it was, it was a nice day <laughs> to wake Heck up. Yeah. Here. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Cause I'm sure, you know, getting uh, in a hotel and staying there, that gets kind of old. Yeah. And it's nice just to like, it was a later way in. it was a later competition, which is good for the fans. It's also good for our athletes who are, you know, some of them are commuting from the West coast or, or, uh, you know, the Midwest and, and Colorado Springs. So that's, you know, hard on their bodies to wake up so early and, and jump right into competition. Yeah. So what about you? Like, I mean, did you wrestle? Yeah, I wrestled from the time I was a little kid um, up into college and I finished my four years at Lock Haven um, 
thinking that my wrestling career, my wrestling time was over and that um, perhaps I would just spend my internship learning more about um, director of ops kind of positions or, or administrative roles instead of um, really being hands-on and coaching. Uh, I had called up Terry Steiner just to touch base after an internship fell through and, and had the opportunity to move out there um, during the London Olympic summer um, and, and spend time with him. Um, some of my friends had made the team. And so it lucked out where they, you know, were interested in having me be a practice partner as they're like getting back to being healthy. And so, you know, I'm on the mat every day and, and Terry's kind of giving me, you know, instructions and pointers on how to, how to talk to athletes and, and how to really step into that coaching role as a young um, female in the room who, you know, is still second guessing themselves from, you know, having competed their entire life, but not having the accolades or the age to really like drive authority or, or really even like, um, you know, give that sort of respect in the wrestling room. So I definitely was fortunate to, um, be welcomed, welcomed by Terry and, and by the USA wrestling staff into the room and, and gain confidence over my six years there, um, to be the coach that I wanted to be. And, and I mean, I'm still continuing to grow and trying to evolve, but, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I think I, I don't know where I would be if I hadn't taken that internship and, and really fallen back in love with the sport of wrestling and, and really found my voice. Wow. What do you mean fall back in love with the sport? Did you fall out of love for her period? I think all of us have like that love hate relationship with the sport. I think it takes a lot. It demands a lot out of you um, as far as like discipline and, and just time consuming. And, you know, we have the injuries along the way and we have, um, you know, the stress of competing and you're going into, you know, these national um, and world team trials and, and events like that, where you're really like, you know, is my work and my time really worth what I'm putting in, uh, the stress that goes onto your body. Like I, I really struggled with competition anxiety for me. It was mostly cognitive where I just was having these thoughts and kind of spiraling. What if, what if, what if, um, you know, and giving my opponents way too much respect and, uh, you know, forecasting and kind of almost self-sabotaging myself. Right. By the time I got to the competition, I'd wrestled a thousand matches in my mind and seen myself lose a thousand ways and the potential outcomes of, you know, uh, how that affects how my teammates see me, how my coach sees me, how my partner sees me, how my parents see me. Um, and like really adding all this extra pressure that didn't help, you know, and, and that kind of like took me away from the sport and, and really I wanted space. Um, and so Terry kind of reminded me of like how great it can be to support someone and to see how, you know, um, your time and your energy actually truly is worth it, whether you're the number one girl or you're the girl who was trying to break through, um, and, and the value of coaching. And I think, you know, um, he helped me in that moment. He's helped me in a lot of ways. Um, but he helped me in that moment really realize what sport was about. Um, over the course of those six years, I really loved what I was doing. I was traveling, competing, uh, with team USA and, and coaching in those corners and, and building systems, our development system. But, um, towards the end of those six years, you know, I kind of became disenchanted again with, with the sport of wrestling. Like, is this really all it's about? Is it only about medals? Is it only about like who's in front of me right now? Um, you know, how do I maintain those relationships after someone leaves the Olympic training center, knowing that they didn't get what they wanted, right? Only, only six of our women became Olympians in 2016. Um, and prior to that, there was only four, four people really walking away, feeling like they got what they wanted. Um, and so like, how do you cope with that as like, people that you love and you spend every single day with and, and, uh, fall in love with the sport. And that's when I made the jump to beat the streets where it's like, 
you know, you really see day to day, like the small wins and then the large wins over the course of that high school um, four year span. And now they're going into college and now they're coming back and, uh, you know, letting us know the things that were helpful and and like making that adjustment a little bit easier for the next person who's making that leap. Um, and so, like, you know, it, it ebbs and flows. Right. We I think I'm also a person who loves new challenges. And so when I feel like I've, I've perhaps maybe not necessarily peaked, but I've kind of become a master of the mundane and I have a system and things are flowing a little bit too easy. I'm ready to make that shift and like dive in and make it a little bit harder for myself and relearn and recognize a new ecosystem and all those new roles and tasks and expand myself in a different way and, and really try and like thrive in a new environment and build again. I think I'm very much a builder and, you know, I think, motivation ebbs and flows just like the way we love the sport and I think it's it's always exciting it's just a matter of like what gets you excited to do it and what brings you back to that love what gets you excited let's ask you that question what what, what gets you excited about the sport and coaching and what you're doing right now um what gets me excited right now is uh watching our women uh, at Columbia University. We have a, a club. Um, we welcome anyone with zero days of experience up to people who are making their senior national team. Um, so we have a huge wide range of experience levels. And I love watching those women who we fought so hard to recruit to get into the door. <laughs> I watch them go through a practice and come back the next day and come back the next day. And I love just the small win of them buying wrestling shoes or, you know, having like um, a flow subscription or whatever that is following USA wrestling, like that next little leap, that next little leap. I love that. I love the commitment, seeing that from them. I love uh, watching someone master a move. I love like watching the frustrating process and, and, you know, it's frustrating for you as a coach too, right? Like you're like, ah, at what point is going to happen? Um, but I love seeing those like breakthrough moments and like when they look over at you and, and like, we're both like sharing the moment, like, you did it. I'm so, so incredibly proud of you. Yeah. Ah, there's a few things I want to, I caught that I I'm like really taken aback with. Um, the one is I can totally understand, or I can empathize watching only four athletes or now six athletes, like you said, get what they want and how crushing it can be for as a coach like yourself to see when your athletes not get what they want like that. How do you deal with that as a coach? Yeah. <laughs> that was really? the, one of the hardest days of my life. Um, I actually had like done a workout with the girls before we went to the Olympic trials and I uh, tore a bunch of ligaments in my foot and I was in a walking boot for the Olympic trials and uh, the warm up arena to the uh, Carver Hawkeyes, like a really long walk. And towards the end of the day, I was like, I'm, I'm posted up right here. I'm done walking back and forth. Um, but because I was walking slower, it actually gave me time to like like I, I shed tears probably 30 times that day. It's like I'm getting emotional thinking about it. Yeah. Um, but it's like when you know how much it means to that person, how much time, how much energy, how much sweat, tears, like everything has been invested. It's hard, right? Like nothing's guaranteed. Even when you do everything right, it's hard to watch someone still fall short. Right. And then have them have that reflection of like, was it all for nothing? Right. Like right. I really truly gain out of this. And then, you know, with time perspective helps. Right. But like in that moment, you see them at their absolute lowest and there's not a thing you can say that's going to make it better. And that's hard. That's really yeah. hard. <laughs> Gosh. Yeah. I mean, when you just, it feels like such a downer, but like, I, I can feel that just 
I can imagine that pain, maybe not even to the extent because I've never been in that position, but I can hopefully kind of scratch the certain, like that just feels so awful. Yeah. But then on the other end, when you see your athlete achieve what they set out to achieve, that's where all the, you know, the hard work that you put in and pays off and you can see the roots what the fruits of your labor. Yeah, that's that's a huge win, right? Like, so then you have like that joyous high of you're celebrating with those six women. Um, you're on the stage, the confetti's falling. It's a beautiful moment. Mm-hmm. There's nothing really like that. And then you fast forward two weeks and like, hey, we still got to qualify the weight for two weight classes. Uh, so now we're in Budapest and we're doing all these uh, extra workouts and trying to kill time because we need to go to Turkey in the following week to compete. Um, you know, and then, you know, then next thing you know, you're like, oh, well, we didn't qualify those weights. And so that's really tough too, right? Like watching them have that meltdown, um, you know, Tamara Mensah-Stock and Kelsey Campbell didn't qualify in 2016. And, and like, again, that's another, like, Hey, they thought that this was it and and Mm -hmm. they fell short, right? Tamara was even winning the match to, to qualify herself until, you know, wrestled on her butt and got run over and pinned. Um, so those are hard, those are hard moments. And then you go to Rio and expect Adeline to win and then gets upset in the quarters, right? Like, again, like nothing is ever promised, no matter how great that feeling was of like making it, there's always like something that's going to kick you in the shin and humble you a little uh, bit. Yes. You hate it. But you know, like there's extreme highs too, right? Helen's match against Yoshida was incredible. Um, you know, and then, probably 18 minutes later, Elena loses her bronze medal match. Right. So it's like these constant extremes in, in the sport. And I'm sure all of our listeners who feel that too, whether it's like the kids tournament here in my local area, the college tournament, the high school tournament, right. We're all riding this wave of emotions and, and like recognizing how hard this individual works and how much we want it for them. And Mm -hmm. that's okay. It's, it is hard. It's just part of the sport though. Yeah. And what you just said, it's okay. It's okay. You know, it's okay. You know, whether it's a high or a low peak valley, everything's going to be okay. The sun will rise tomorrow. I've never seen it not. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Um, The other thing that you said that stuck out to me that I feel I just want to touch on is, um, you know, when you walked into coaching, you didn't have all these accolades um, to really kind of flash or show that you had all this success. So you needed to gain their respect a different way, essentially. How, how were you able to kind of get their respect when you didn't have these medals or whatever to show that you had succeeded at the highest level? Yeah, I think it started with just being consistently there, right? Consistently, I showed up consistently. If you needed extra help after practice, if you needed a practice dummy, the get up girl, if you needed someone to run an errand or do something, right? Like I'm there, right? And then the perk of the Olympic Training Center is, um, you know, the shared cafe. And so like breakfast, lunch and dinner, not only was I broke and I needed that food, but, um, (laughs) you know, like... (laughs) Uh, it gave me the opportunity to continue to talk and share and learn. Um, I feel like my, my undergraduate career, uh, studying sports science and and coaching definitely helped. Um, I was 
enrolled in my master's program, continuing to learn sports psychology um, and sports science. Um, I was actively seeking out the USA Wrestling Coaches Education. I was enrolled in the Olympic Committee uh, Education Program for for national team coaches. I um, did United World Wrestling's Coaches Education. I, uh, you know, over time, like felt like I had all these amazing resources. And, and I think my mentors like Terry Steiner, Andrea Yamamoto, Mike Clayton, um, really like helped me find ways to how to, when's the right time for you to share that information, right? Um, you don't have to, you know, preach to be, to be heard. Um, but like when, when an athlete's looking for that kind of help and they're asking, can you provide it in a way that makes them want to learn more? Can you share it in a way that makes them get excited about it and, and want to uncover and want to listen to what you have to say next? Um, and, you know, finding out like how much is too much to share. Cause that's like, you know, overwhelming and how much is just like a little nugget. Um, and then recognizing, right. Like that, what I have to say doesn't have to be spectacular, right. Somebody still needs to remind you to to touch the mat, to stay in your stand. Someone still needs to be there um, to make sure, right? Like what's to, did you expose there and, and help those things out? And, and I didn't have to be perfect. And I think that's something that like, um, you know, Adeline and, and like Jenna and Aaron and, and all of those women who I kind of like entered the training center with at, at that same kind of time as uh, a different role than them as athletes, but them not expecting me to be perfect. Right. Like they recognize that like, Hey, she's 21 and she's figuring her stuff out too. Right. Like <laughs> and expect her to like know everything or experience everything. But like, I know that she's willing to learn and I know that we can trust her as far as like, she's going to keep showing up and she's going to keep seeking out education. She's going to find an answer for us and, and, you know, be that person that we can lean on. Wow. Seems like you put in a lot of time and effort and energy, you know, into being where you are today, you know, which is, which is great. You know, um, you said you got your BA, you got a bachelor's and a master's both from Lock Haven, correct? Yes. Yes. Thanks. In sports psychology. Yeah. Sports psychology, sports science. And were you doing all that while like, or when did you finally go to the train? Cause you said you were 21. Um, yeah, I graduated at 21. I moved to the training center um, immediately after graduation, June 1st of the Olympic summer. Um, I stayed there for six years. So I started as an uh, intern. I made my way up to program assistant, which is just a made up role. Um, it doesn't exist anymore because Terry <laughs> wanted to keep me. Um, and then I worked my way up to a development coach and uh, started running that that U15, U17 and U20, 23 program. Um, right camps and tours and stuff like that. Uh, during my, I think I started grad school, maybe like January of that first year, 2013. Um, and really, yeah, I was taking classes online, um, listening to, to classes, reading a bunch of research surveys. Um, matter of fact, the women were my, my experiments, uh, as far as like working and recording myself, talking to them and practicing my sports psychology skills and, and mm-hmm. sessions. Um, so I definitely am so incredibly lucky that they were like, yeah, I'll be your science experiment. I'll help you with your homework. Um, mm-hmm. They were open to that because we're all looking right, like for ways to like close the gap um, to, to get to where we want to go. Yeah. Wow. You that you just put a lot of time and effort. You know, I guess what I'm trying to say is you didn't get here by accident. You really put in a lot of work and energy and effort to getting to where you are today. And I applaud that. That is amazing. I feel like 
you know, there's definitely luck of being able to call Terry and be like, where should I go? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, But I do think like as a young person and as a female in that role, I think I, I was scared to death, right? Like that imposter syndrome that someone's going to find out that I don't deserve to be here. And so like I was working my butt off to try and be like, do I belong here? Do I really feel like this is a spot for me? Um, and like, how do I grow into this role where like, maybe I am like an untraditional coach, right? A non-traditional coach in the sense of like, in wrestling, you see a lot of people with accolades, but when you look over at other sports like the NFL, NBA, uh, major league baseball, they're not picking and choosing their coaches based on the accolades that they uh, achieved on the, the playing field. Right. And so I think I also gained a little bit of like confidence, just like recognizing that like our sport is archaic in, in a lot of things that we do, the technology that we use, the way that we like, <laughs> beat people yeah, down yeah. Uh, and expect them to keep coming back uh, the way we select our coaches. And I think there's things about wrestling that, you know, because we're so old school that it's really cool. And I think that's another thing that like is a barrier though. Um, right. You know, I, I work sure. with, um, a lot of women in coaching and trying to like find that voice and like really try and build a network. And I'm thankful for the women in my life who, you know, continually tell me, right. Like, Hey, like you do, you deserve to be here. You deserve to be here. And, you know, I heard that from my male counterparts too, but like helping the next woman who potentially could be a great coach, but doesn't feel like she belongs because her accolades uh, might not be what she wants them to be. Whereas like you might see a guy step into that coaching role and and he might've just been a high school wrestler and, and she's like a multiple time college national champ or all American. And she's like, ah, I don't know. I don't know if I know enough about the sport. Right. And so mm-hmm. how do we break down those walls to say like, Hey, your accolades help, but they don't define you. Um, and how do we like uh, encourage, right. Seeking out education and recognizing that just because I have that accolade, how do I continue to serve my athletes and, and really help them get their best foot forward? Yeah, that's, that was actually going to be one of the questions, you know, that I had for you was how do we break down those barriers to allow for a more even playing field among men and women in the sport where it comes to um, whether it's coaching, competing, what have you, you know, um, obviously women and girls wrestling is skyrocketing um, in the nation, you know, uh, so, which is great, but um, there still feels to be this imbalance, if you will, you know, so what what do you think in your yeah. we can do? Yeah, I feel like it's real and it's also perceived. I think there definitely is like a real difference of like the respect that an accolade of a female athlete receives in turn to those of our male counterparts. I think there's a respect when a female is presenting uh, at the coach's clinic versus when um, a male is presenting, right? Uh, even right. what okay. kind of skills we're asking that female to present versus that male Um you know, I, and I think there are some perceived ones too, right. Where maybe we still have a little bit of a chip on our shoulder from like the way that we've been treated over the last 25 years uh, for myself. Right. But also for the last multiple decades, right. Probably half century of, of women wrestling in this country and really fighting to, to be on the mat. Um, I think for us, it's like, how do we continue to pull in those alums who wrestled um, whether they were for team USA or not, but how do we continue to pull those people back into the sport? Um, I think the life cycle of, you know, 
people saying like, oh, they're having kids right now. So you've got to give them that 20 year gap to really have their kids. I think that gap period is over. Uh, and so are we really wrapping our arms around them and utilizing these women in coaching roles and, and like making them community builders, even if they don't want to be a coach, right? There's ways to be an administrator, a fundraiser, an advocate, um, a uh, commentator, right? Like a guest speaker who just comes in and cheers on those ladies and, and shares a little bit of their story. Um, I think there's the opportunity too of like, how do we keep the women who are recently graduating and, and putting them into coaching roles and providing RTC opportunities? And maybe that means that we do need to have some non-traditional things like daycare um, opportunities or uh, recognizing that like $35,000 for a college women's head coach job is not enough for them to like choose this right yeah like in their right mind are they gonna be like oh that's a great deal you know what i'm gonna build a family of five if that's what i want and i'm gonna go ahead and take on 30 plus women um as as a project with no weekends off because we know how wrestling season is right like yeah hard for me to like think that there's no other way like we don't necessarily need to mirror the men but i think um we can look at their their system and see what's working and take those things and we can build our own system and, and do our own new things and, and be innovative um, and, and kind of lead the path. I think you see that in some ways as far as the women wrestling freestyle right away from high school. Um, I think we do have a jump start, and you can see the progress of, of like where our women are going. They're getting better attention. Um, I think as far as the RTCs, um, how do you incentivize those RTCs to support women, to support Greco um, and continue to break down those barriers? Because for those RTCs, they're like, hey, this is alumni driven, alumni funded. How, what's this woman bringing into the room? Um, even if it's just like the idea of equity and how important it is to your 40 guys on your college roster and the five other guys at your RTC, you know, and giving her that voice and showing her, showing them that she does have an impact, even though it's not direct, it's, um, maybe slightly indirect, but I think there's a lot of ways we can continue to make it a little bit easier to level the playing field, to honor one another and just respecting Mm -hmm. that, like, my my medal means as much as yours, right? My division right. means as yours. Uh, my experience in the wrestling room is just as worthy. I'm always worthy of respect, regardless whether I'm the best wrestler in the room, the worst wrestler in the room. Doesn't matter my race, my ethnicity, my my um, age, my gender, um, my my religious beliefs, or anything, right? Like we're all just human beings worthy of respect. And so if we start there, I think we could go pretty far. <laughs> Yeah, you know, and something you just said that, um, you know, popped in my head was um, it's great seeing more women's programs, but are they getting the proper support right out of the gate? You know, like you just said, okay, we have this. Okay, great. We have a women's program, but we're going to give the coach 35K. We don't have enough money for a lot of scholarships. Here's a couple half scholarships or what have you, you know, you got to do your own fundraising. There's just a lot that goes into that, that just, just because they have a program doesn't mean it's great. Like that's, that's a starting point, I guess, but you know, Look at the turnover rates, Look, it's incredible. The amount of people bouncing from job to job. Um, what it shows me is one, there's no like ability to pay that coach enough for them to sustain in that environment. And there's not the support of the administration once they're there to want to keep them there and, and fight mm-hmm. for those things. And like, you know, it's one thing if like, Hey, like 
my administrative administration support is incredible. Right. And the team is incredible. And, and together we're making this work, even though like, you know, I'm sacrificing maybe getting paid an equitable wage that my degrees in, in a career that I also am interested in, but I care deeply about this team. But like, if I don't get paid and the administration is making me, you know, really second guess, is this the right choice for me? And now I'm extra fundraising to make sure that the girls have the opportunity to go to the U S open, to go to age group trials. Um, that makes it really hard. Right. And, uh-huh. and you're doing that on your own and potentially with a small staff. I think it's scary. It's scary to me that like we would start all these programs and not really make sure that they're on strong footings. And that doesn't mean that all of them are that way, but I think some of them are like, this could be a, a revenue stream for our university and not really thinking about like, how do I make this a team in which people's lives are changed? And they leave here knowing that this was like a valuable piece of their education and a piece of their experience and their upbringing that, you know, can help guide them through the future. Uh, and yeah. that's what I want for, for all of our clubs. Right. And I don't think that's too much to ask. I, <laughs> oh, I don't think so either. Yeah. And, um, yeah, that's a good, like you said, that's a good, you know, when you want, they're, they're good and they're well-funded. It's not just seen as a different entity, like a revenue stream or just Title IX compliance, whatever, mm-hmm. you know, that it's valued by the administration and the university that it's a sport. We need to back it. We need to put into it like we do the other sports, you know? Yeah, I think college athletics right now is a crazy space, right? Yeah. With being down. Um, so revenues less and, and that cuts into your athletic department budget. So you're already being leaned on to fundraise more with the NILs to be competitive. You're, you're spending a ton of money. And so does that money go to the athletes on your current college team? Or does that money go to the RTC that you've been working to build over the last two de- uh, two cycles? Right. And there's all of these things that are like constantly pulling at these college coaches and uh, it's a position I don't necessarily envy, right? Like as a club coach, <laughs> I'm not too worried about like what's going on with with uh, NCAA, I'm worried about the girls in my room and I'm worried about making sure that they have a good experience and we have the funding to get where we need to go. But like, mm-hmm. that's a lot. Yeah. Um, I want to back it up quite a bit here. Um, when did you start wrestling? It sounds like you, I think you said at the beginning, you kind of grew up wrestling, you know, um, when did you start wrestling? Where did you go? You know, why wrestling? Did you do any yeah. other sports? Just kind of start at the beginning of, of the life of Emma Randall, I guess. Uh, yeah, I grew up in a small town, farm town, um, in Ohio, Jamestown, Ohio. Um, my older brother is 18 months older, um, kindergarten causing trouble winter, uh, basketball tryouts are already over. So we got kicked into wrestling. Um, you know how families are, right? Like if one person has practice, then we all go to practice. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, he's in, he's young. I'm kind of watching, you know, over time I start to decide that I'm going to do the, the warm-ups by myself on the side. I'm going to try and emulate as how much as I, how much I can. Um, uh, eventually like our youth coaches started working with, uh, my parents had try and convince them to let me practice. They're like, she's not hurting anything. Like just let her in. Um, and I absolutely loved it. Um, and then over another year, two years, uh, they convinced my parents to finally let me compete. Um, and then it just kind of flourished from there. Right. Like I was an elementary school wrestler who probably had the best experience because I didn't have to compete two weeks after learning the sport. Um, I had the opportunity to kind of play and I was welcome in my own room. And I think as like the only female in our club and matter of fact, the only female in our area, like 
it kind of sheltered me a little bit because my first competition, I can remember how like harsh it was. I, I had short hair then still, uh, too. Um, but there weren't women's cut singlets. I was wearing a t-shirt underneath my singlet. Um, even though, you know, like I'm, I'm like eight, I don't really necessarily need a sports bra. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, but like, you know, like there was no way to protect myself. And I can remember the things that the dads and the other coaches would say, and the things that my dad would leave the tournament still like mumbling about like how he was mad and how it, uh, he felt disrespected and that I was disrespected. And, and, um, you know, i I feel like if I had been thrown into that and not really understood right away that I am welcome here because these hundred kids in my youth wrestling club love me and support me and my coaches love and care and support about me. Like, I don't know that I would have stuck it out. Um, I wrestled through junior high, had a, uh, a really kind coach who was also my fifth grade teacher. And so we had a great relationship. He always made it welcome. Um, these are the same guys that I've been wrestling with since, I was a little girl. And so like I had that protective unit, my older brother was still wrestling too. Um, and so, you know, I was like 82, 86 pounds in junior high and he was maybe 150, 160. He was really talented. So I always had like that bigger person to, if things came push to shove, like that would have my back. Um, high school, I wrestled again with my brother. We went through a few different coaches. Um, but yeah, I, I started wrestling girls and in, in girls tournaments my sophomore year. And then I switched to an all girls competition schedule and I still got to train with our high school guys, but I hit like this growth spurt where I went from being 115 pounds and bouncing between 112 and 119, depending on where my team needed me to uh, being like 140. And now I'm cutting to make weight and I'm competing at nationals. And, and my dad's like, you know what? I think you probably shouldn't. <laughs> Um, so it was fine, you know, uh, growing up, I did tennis, track, wrestling, basketball, rodeo. Um, I wow. loved trying all the sports. I also really didn't want to be a farm hand. And so like, that was my, <laughs> wow, you did it all. Did, did you enjoy the other sports that you did? Oh, I loved them. I yeah. loved, tennis. I loved throwing and track, um, rodeo. I had like a bad accident that kind of like, um, maybe placed a little bit more fear. And I think that was the thing in the back of my mind. Every time I got on a horse after that, I was like, I don't know if I really want to go fast. I'm sorry. Sorry. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, if I had my way, I would have played all sports in college as well, but you know, uh, you gotta, you gotta start to narrow your focus and, yeah. and really pick and choose where, where to devote your time and energy um, at school. And and uh wrestling was it for me yeah i, I was gonna ask who, who you looked up to you know i mean uh mm -hmm. growing up there weren't a whole lot of female wrestlers out there you know um so did did you look up to someone specific or did somebody stand out to you yeah like 2004 was the first women's um uh performance in the olympics uh i was a freshman in high school then i i was definitely not paying close attention uh, as we moved into 2008 i was definitely paying a closer attention to it um i really liked ali bernard um i enjoyed watching her compete and then uh it just so happened right like that she was at my week class and and we wrestled a lot in canada because lock havens within like three hours of Canada and mm -hmm. I would see her on a regular basis. Right. And I built this friendship with her. And then when she made the 2012 team um, and, and broke her ankle before the Olympics, you know, it was nice that I was there because now it's a trusted person who, who you can like drill with and, and uh, know that like, I don't have any contention on, 
you know, if you don't heal up, you can't wrestle in this Olympics. Right. And so like, I'm just play wrestling with her. I'm the dummy, whatever she needs. Um, and so I, I really enjoyed that. Um, and then just like being able to go from, you know, I went to Ohio state championships every year to watch my brother wrestle, but um, watching those good guys, David Taylor was also like in our section. Um, so obviously he's pretty good at wrestling. Um, <laughs> you know, I watched them, but most of my, most of the people that I really enjoyed watching were men at that point in time. And they were mostly high school guys. I remember we went to a couple Ohio state duels, but like, I don't really like Ohio state anyway. So I wasn't invested. Um, <laughs> so where did the love and passion just come for the sport of wrestling? I guess you tried all these other sports and it seems like you enjoyed them, but wrestling just apparently just, it just kept coming back. Right. Like I, I think if I had really like tried to pursue like another sport or the next level, I'm, I'm sure I would have loved that too. But, um, I had thought I was going to play tennis in college uh, and continue working with like my doubles partner. And, and I thought we were going to storm the world. Um, but you know, you get that free pass to go visit a college and my college or my high school coach had been kind of talking to me about Lock Haven and the history of Jenny Wong, Aaron Tomio, now Vandiver, um, Sarah McMahon, Katie Downing was there for a bit, right? Like all of these women who are out there winning world medals and, and representing team USA, um, passed through Lock Haven stores and his son was, currently like at Lock Haven. And so he started that idea and I, I finally went for a visit. And when I pulled in, like, it was like love at first sight, right? Like the beautiful mountains, the Susquehanna going through, I love old buildings and, and Lock Haven's poor. So it's old buildings. Um, I mean, they've renovated a lot, but like, you know, like to me, it was like, this is perfect. Um, we went to the sport administration department. I got to meet the professors and like, it was everything that I loved all in one space, right? Like it had nature, it had the major that I wanted at that point, they were in the Forbes top 10 for one of the places to go. If you were interested in that major, they had the wrestling that I wanted, which I didn't really see myself continuing to wrestle through. Um, and they wrestled Penn state, like the weekend I was there for my visit. And I was like, Hmm. like, I'm done. This is it. She's like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Did did you even think wrestling in college was like, you know, attainable for you being a female, you know, like a lot yeah. of, I've talked to quite a few that are like, I didn't even realize like women wrestled in college. Yeah, know? I knew, I knew about Cumberland's. I knew um, mm-hmm. about a few other universities, Oklahoma city. Um, it's just like, I don't want to live in Kentucky. Um, <laughs> I mean, Oklahoma City's nice as well. It's a, definitely a newer campus and in a nice school, but, uh, you know, it's a religious institution as well. So like, I didn't know that that was something that I would want for myself. Um, and so like finding lock Haven and, and Terry Fike was my coach there. And like, I'm sure a thousand times over the phone, he's told me his coaching philosophy and how it's like athlete centered relationship oriented process oriented growth mindset. Here's the things that I believe I see in you. I think like, he, he was everything that I needed to hear to like, think about like, maybe this is a safe space for me going forward because I did have like a few doubts about like leaving and being eight hours from home and like, what would that be like? And no one in my uh, immediate family had, had, um, you know, college diplomas and my older brother who ended up in the same grade was like, colleges for jokers uh, <laughs> you know it's so like in your mind I'm like oh, I don't know if I even like I'm a small town girl most yeah. of the time. so I think I had more hesitations about that than about like the wrestling specifically 
Do you, uh, so I struggled with that too. Um, some self-doubt, um, confident or, uh, not confidence, anxiety, um, competition, anxiety, things of that nature. Um, but you, at this point right now, I, I feel like you project a certain confidence, you know, now, um, has that, how did you, how did you get to that? Was it a lot of practice, you know, to finally push down kind of those doubting characteristics of yourself? At least still come and go, right? Like as much as you feel like you're a master of your own ship, sometimes like a wave comes up and you're like, Oh, I'll push it back. <laughs> um, no, but like, I think for me, competence and confidence or confidence comes from competence. Right. So like knowing that I've, I've done the research, I've like, taken the classes, I've challenged myself in those ways. And I think it comes back also to, to the mentors that I had where, um, Terry would sit behind me and, and talk to me about the way I was providing feedback to our athletes. Like, Hey, that sounded more like a question than a statement of what you just said back to her. So have you thought about that? Um, and then like Mike Clayton would be like, I think you're ready to start speaking at these events instead of just sitting in the back of the classroom, taking all the notes, you're still welcome to come to the class and take notes, but like, you're going to do a 90 minute session. You're going to talk about this. Um, another way Terry empowered me was like, this is your strong suit, right? Like this is something that a lot of coaches don't have is like background in sports psychology. Um, and so how do we integrate you into our sports psychology plan at the Olympic training center? Can you start to speak to our women and, and share with them like these concepts and provide exercises on how we're going to incorporate those, um, into our practice plans and into our everyday training. And then same kind of thing with UWW, like, um, Mike kind of pushed, uh, myself and, and I think it was Aaron Vandiver at the time, but, um, into this UWW women's coaches education course and like becoming a trained educator and being able to go and teach in various countries for different uh, national governing bodies, how coaching can impact and what are the best practices and, and like finding that, um, and then, you know, like time, time, I'm over a decade into my coaching career and, you know, I still have doubts and fears and worries, but I think I've definitely become more aware, self-aware of like, when am I noticing those feelings of, of fear? And am I putting it on the appraisal of someone else? Am I just worried what they're thinking of me or am I truly being my authentic self and, and really just not caring? I don't have to be perfect. Nobody is. Um, and so why am I placing the expectation on myself and what can I do to prepare myself, whether it's, um, you know, being the most prepared coach by having the entire periodization plan and the curriculum and mapping out our first few weeks of practice done, right? Like all of those little things help me, right? Whether it's reading more, whether it's practicing meditation, um, whether it's being self-aware and journaling, whether it's doing the work that it takes to feel confident because you know, you've put the time and energy into it. Um, I think those are all like little things that like guide me and they're all things that you can do on a wrestling mat too, right? As a, as a student athlete or as an athlete at the senior level, it's about like, did I watch enough film to recognize, right? Like what the tactics need to be. Have I mastered my attacks and learned what my fundamental techniques are going to be? Do I know uh, the fundamentals of each kind of position? I don't have to be a master of it, but I do need to recognize like, how do I get my head up and hips in, in this position? How do I gain height and isolate? Um, and then like, have I been a student of the sport as far as like journaling before practice, reflecting after practice? Have I written out my practice plans and my goals and created a chart of how I'm going to get there and, and mapped my future um, and my competition schedule and thought about how my periodization and stuff works with, um, 
with my season or even just as simple as like, Hey, I know I have a competition this weekend and I did my homework in advance so I could, um, perform my best. I think all of those little things, they're, they're just ways that now as an adult, I do it slightly differently because I'm not making weight. I'm not doing those things, but like, it's the same key ideas, just reinvented in a different circumstance or a different environment. Wow. How did sports psychology help you kind of with form this, uh, ba- uh, not base, um, uh, foundation, I should say this foundation, because that was what you majored in and you know, sports yeah. science, sports psychology. I knew like our program kind of like pushed you into exploring all forms of sport, whether you're marketing, whether you're in media, whether you're in game day ops, whether you're an athletic director or you're a coach, you're a strength trainer, your facilities manager. Right. And you're trying all these different ones. And I knew coaching was like really important to me. That's something that I had always wanted to do. I wanted to coach or teach. And I tried teaching in high school and I did not enjoy that. (laughs) Straight coach. Um, Uh, but as I was taking those coaches classes, they were introducing the psychology of coaching and like, what is the role of the coach? How does the coach impact the player and the player experience? And how does that, you know, change the trajectory of the team, um, by the way that they lead, by the way that they organize themselves, by the way that they communicate. Uh, and that pushed me to the next piece, right. Where now I'm like, Oh, I'm interested in the psychology of coaching. That's really cool. I'm thinking about all the little things that my coach did that made a huge impact, but now like what's, what's a little bit of sports psychology like, and that was really my first experience of like thinking deeply about how our cognitive um, behavior really impacts our, our performance. And, you know, when you're first getting into it, you're obsessed with it and you're like, oh my gosh, this thing is like, wow, I've been doing this wrong for my entire life competing in sports, right? Like what was I thinking, right? Like I was told to be fueled by emotion. I was told to be angry, to perform my best, told to be like high energy instead of like living right here on the cusp of being alert, but also, um, able to focus and, and relax enough that I can take in stimuli without becoming overwhelmed and mm-hmm. create my stress, fight or flight or freeze symptoms, you know? Yeah. Uh, so the more I got into that, the more I fell in love with it, the more I wanted to learn more. Um, I had an amazing professor who every topic was also followed up with like an experiment of us amongst ourselves. And most of my peers in that class were also athletes. And I think we were all just like sponges for her. Mm-hmm. Um, trying to soak up everything and learn as much as we can. But sports psychology is kind of like a prescription drug. It doesn't like work day one, minute one, when you take it, right. You have to continue to build up that dosage in your system. You have to continue to work on it. And four years of studying it. I, I feel like I learned so much about myself and I learned so much about like the mental side of sport, but I didn't master it. And I might listen to a class all day, but still not be able to, uh, you know, reframe my thoughts back to neutral in practice or catch myself in that spiral because I wasn't paying close enough attention to my body. It took more time. Uh, and so like, as I entered grad school, I'm continuing to learn, but as a coach, right, you're starting to notice like the, the body language of that, of that athlete and recognize like the things that they're saying and, and maybe the way that they're saying it and you're able to reframe it. Right. Because you're not And you're not in that moment yourself, right? I think it's really hard for an athlete as they're like learning to like recognize and become self-aware and catch themselves in the moment and change, um, change the thought or change the behavior or change the way that we're communicating to get the outcome that we want. Uh, and so like, it was easier definitely being a person from the outside providing that feedback than it was to be in those shoes. Doesn't mean it's impossible, but like we put a lot of pressure on our athletes to figure out how to do all of those skills when 
as adults, do all of us regulate our emotions the correct way? <laughs> you know, <laughs> we have so much violence in this world because we can't regulate our own emotions. We can't take a step back and have a perspective or reframe or recognize that maybe that person didn't mean it that way. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of stuff that we just assume are, are natural or should be natural, but they're not. And they're learned skills. And unless you're starting that process at, you know, eight, nine, 10, 12, um, then it, it's hard to just expect it to happen overnight when you're 18, 19, 20, and, and those habits are formed and those feedback loops are formed where you just fall back on your tendency and try and rewire yourself. Gosh, yeah. And that's, that's tough to rewire yourself. And I, I went through, you know, I had issues at times, uh, getting caught up in the moment and making a split decision instead of just taking that second, just be like, Oh, stop, hold on, take a step back. That is so difficult. I, like to think I'm better at it now, you know, but it took some time and practice, you know? Yeah. We all struggle with it, right? There's oh. times we catch ourselves. We're like, why did I do that? That was such a bad idea. All right. It's okay. <laughs> like that's yeah. why I girls all the time. I'm like, what should we do now? Panic, definitely panic. And the, you know, that makes them usually laugh. And uh, then we're like, okay, deep breath. Really though, what's, what's the plan here? What are we going to do? Um, right. So like, there's like that moment of de-escalation, a deep breath, right? Like could be worse. So how are we going to solve this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you, you bet you touched on that. Um, you know, you work with beat the streets now, uh, New York. Um, how did that change your coaching? Um, well, I left beat the streets in 2018, but I spent, uh, three years with them. Um, or sorry, no, I came in 2018, I left in 2021. Um, Beat the Streets was really cool as far as I've been working with uh, Olympic caliber and the highest level for those six years. Mm -hmm. And in maybe the cues that I were using were very short and specific uh, and the feedback (laughs) was direct. Right. And now you're working with kids who potentially maybe never had a gym class in their life because sometimes some schools just roll out two basketballs and call it a class. Um, yeah. and so they don't know how to forward roll. They don't know how to change directions without crossing their feet. They don't have a push up, Right. And so the feedback that I'm giving, I, I need to think about like, how do I make sure that it's not threatening? Cause I need this girl to come back tomorrow. Um, the, the, it's mostly love right? Of like, here's the feedback that I'm going to give you. I'm so happy that you came here today. I don't care what time you came to practice because I know transit in New York City is a mess. Um, I'm hugging you when you walk in the door. I'm high-fiving you when you put your shoes on. I'm excited to see you wrestle and, and, you know, just celebrating those small wins throughout the process. And then like really focusing on like scaffolding a practice. Um, I think gymnastics does a really good job of like, here's baseline skill number one. Maybe you're practicing for the balance beam. Here's a piece of tape on the, on the floor. Uh, and then they move up to a two inch off of it. Right. And maybe instead of walking on the tape line, now they're doing a cartwheel and they're only walking on the two inch beam. And now they're doing something else on the beam, right. That's challenging. And there's constantly like this skill level development mm-hmm. where I think in wrestling, right. Like I walked into my youth wrestling room, uh, a while ago and they were showing how to run the pipe, <laughs> run the pipe and switch off to a, a bar finish on, <laughs> honestly, I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> 
But like eight, like let's just talk about grabbing a leg and keeping our like, oh, that we need all these finishes. The other kid can't stand up anymore. They don't even have balance. So uh, really thinking about scaffolding the skills, thinking about like intentionally adding where to add drills, where to add games. Um, how do we break this skill down into these micro skills that are going to carry over to each of those positions? Um, creating time for a warm up in which they're learning general athleticism, which a lot of us just take for granted. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then just again, with the, with touching base with where they are, right. They might be brand new to the sport. They might be pursuing like that Fargo all American title, or maybe they're looking to get to the top of the podium. And so again, adapting, whereas like our practice plan for our senior national team every day at the training center is probably pretty set. There's not a lot of like adaptation within it where we're wiggling to fit who needs what, um, and so I'm walking over this group of new girls and we're still working on moving in our stance and making contact and keeping our hips under us as we push and as we pull. Uh, whereas like the next group, maybe they are still working on pushing and pulling within that bicep tie, but now they're starting to add a shot. And maybe we have some girls over here who, you know, are returning all Americans and now they're working set up, take down to turn. And so making those adaptations mm-hmm. as you go, um, building those relationships, I learned so much coming to beat the streets and just learning from all of these young individuals and like the stories and their backgrounds and um, you know, what drives them to come every day to practice and like how I can be a better person and a better coach um, and just a better human. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, From them. And the things that I take for granted as far as like the parental support or the people around you, or even just the easiness of being able to get on a bus outside of my home and go directly to school granted it might have been early in the morning right but I'm not getting on public transit changing three trains going 90 minutes to a school that's not even nearby my home Mm -hmm. Um, that's full of 5,000 people where I feel like I'm one of many instead of you know one of 150 in my graduating class where they knew my name and those are the same um, kids that I started kindergarten with that I graduated with. Right. And it's just a different lifestyle and you take a lot of things for granted. And, and I loved my time at beat the streets. I was the women's head coach. I was the high school development, um, director who was like putting together the off the mat holistic programming as well. And I think that was meaningful to me. I could see the value of like teaching leadership of teaching college access and college prep and how to find a mentor when you go to a college, how to find a community that fits you, um, to create those friends outside of the wrestling team, um, taking them from someone who maybe didn't believe in themselves to someone who now is like, I'm going to go get a job. Right. And she's confident enough to tell me that, <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm going to go get a job. You know what? My family <laughs> has bills to pay. That's fair. And that's fine. Um, and so like all of those things, I, I loved my time at beat the streets, um, in 2021, uh, following like, almost a year and a half on zoom wrestling workouts with beat the right. streets. I was yeah. like, I, I got to get on a wrestling mat. And, you know, from the time I was young, I had thought about being a college coach. And so I called up um, another one of my mentors, Kira Berry, and, and kind of told her where I was at as far as looking at college positions. These are the places that I'm looking at again. Um, what do you think I should be be doing? And, and she said, would you like to stay in the city? And I said, oh, of course I love, I love New York city. Um, it's, it's an amazing experience every single day, but she said, give me two weeks before you commit to a job. And, and, uh, when she called me back, she said, I, you're going to coach the women's club at Columbia right now. They have four girls and and you can grow it to be whatever you want it to be. And you're going to be the women's coach at the NYC RTC. And 
we'll do what we need to do there to provide senior resident athletes. If that's what you want to work with, if you want it to be a pipeline, that's U23 mostly focused on the club. That's what it'll be. Uh, and I'm just super grateful for her to like give me this like palette um, to start with and, and to paint, you know, the vision that I kind of had. So we have 25 women now um, and, and growing. Um, we had our first woman make senior national team this year. Like I said earlier, we have a lot of women who are brand new to the sport, who have never wrestled before, who, you know, stick it out and have competed in their first, you know, dual meets tournaments and are getting wins and are scoring points on people who've wrestled for a long time and, uh, you know, um, are at varsity programs. And so that's exciting to me. It's exciting to build that. It's exciting to work with a meet here and there and, and help with her journey, how I can, whether it's just, uh, physically being a support resource for her or providing small technical feedback or just sitting in her corner when she needs it. But like, I really love the relationship that we have with the Columbia university men. We train with them two days a week. And I think it's really incredible experience for those guys to recognize how hard our women work and how worthy they are of the support and respect. Um, I really feel like over the last two years, we've built this program that's holistic and cares about all of our U23 and college student athletes and, and uh, is a welcoming space for all of them. And then I love the pipeline that feeds from that college Columbia room up to the NYC RTC. We have student athletes who are still enrolled in school who are representing their various countries, whether it's the Philippines with Arian Carpio or uh, Cesar Alvin representing uh, Brazil. We have our senior athletes here at the training center as well. So, you know, with chance and a meet making world teams this year. So we've got a really unique circumstance, but we're continuing to build and paint and, and create this like environment you know, New York's known as the world's best city. <laughs> so we like become the epicenter of wrestling, you know, Columbia is really like bought in and, and Zach's doing a tremendous job of making them a, a powerhouse, right. Breaking into the national rankings um, is, is not an easy task. And he's been mm -hmm. slowly just chipping away and, and they broke through. And I think the world's going to, you know, kind of be shocked when they continue to do so and, and do so at a high level. And I think, um, you know, Valentin and Kendall at the RTC are also doing a great job. You can see the women on the world stage, the men on the world stage. Um, and, and hopefully we continue to work as like this, this machine that's <laughs> encompassing and, and working in sync and trying to get to that next level together. Yeah. Yeah. When, you know, Amit and Chance both making it from the NYC RTC, that was, I think that's a big moment that could be almost like um, a game changing moment, you know, to have a couple athletes make it and show the rest of the, the country that if you want to make a world team, you can do it here at the NYCRTC, you know, yeah, it's impressive, right? Like, yeah. Um, we also have like the fine silver brothers, Mitch and Josh are here. They're representing Israel. Um, Afto Kimchaze is here. He's an Olympic, uh, sorry, a world silver medalist. Who's also representing Georgia. He just won his wrestle off too, right? Like good yeah. people are here and they're training and, and New York is an easy flight over to Europe. It's an easy flight. Um, as other people are coming into the country and visiting, they're usually passing through New York too. So like making the phone call and saying like, Hey, can I drop in for a visit? And that's, you know, unique for our athletes to not have to travel across the country, then travel across yeah. the ocean. But it's also unique that a lot of people pass through here. Like earlier this year, we had, um, 
a Japanese Olympian who stayed with us for two and a half weeks. Right. And, and she did all of our college practices and worked with our women, like (laughs) incredible experience. Um, Team USA come in and do training camps. We've had other countries come in and and stay. Uh, It's just like, wow, what a, an amazing resource to like offer to our student athletes and our resident athletes. Yeah. Yes. That is. Wow. That's great. I didn't even realize that. Yeah, it's conveniently located. We also have um, fighters who are, you know, down fighting at MSG, um, you know, as they come in and go, they might come through Columbia or they might come through the the RTC to drop in for a practice. So like, it's, it's definitely a a unique experience. You don't know who's going to be at practice that day. Um, And it's really good for our athletes, right? Like to have a new partner, to have a new feel, experience something different and, and having that excitement of, of New York city's buzz trickling in. Yeah. Um, another question for you. How did, um, how did going to the five boroughs, you know, make you (laughs) come up with a bunch of different drills, you know, that help break down your moves? Um, my first year with beat the streets, I went to a different borough every day and a different school every day. I learned so much about the city and public transit. And I loved it. I used to like listen to a podcast, the history of like the neighborhood or a building in the neighborhood or the food and like learn about that. And it was like lovely way to like actually get to know the city. Um, as far as like a different practice every day, when I was traveling to a different borough and a different school, I, I have like a curriculum and, and I got this from Terry, right. Where like, we're really focusing on one major meat topic for, for that week. So it might be like being able to knee slide and, and finish your, your high C. Right. And so like, we're just starting there every single practice. And, and like, that's the bulk of our practice. We're going to spend time on that. And I would work through on Monday, here's my practice template. Right. And I'm going through it. And then at, you know, I got an hour and a half on the ride home of the train. So I was my pen and paper. I'm like, well, that didn't work. That was a bad cue. This was a good cue. Um, I like the way I did this. I probably would reorder things as far as like, how am I going to scaffold that? And so I would spend my time there kind of like reflecting, learning about the area, getting to know like the school or, or whatever was going on and, and just kind of take that time to clear my head to be the best me that I could be. Mm-hmm. Um, and then post-practice, I, I took that time to really reflect and refine. And then Tuesday I would go to a different borough, a different school, and I would hit it again. And I'd be like, okay, this was way better, way better. But I got a little greedy at the end and asked a little bit too much of them. I made too much of a jump or I rushed them a little bit too much. And so every single day of the week, I was like refining, 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 refining. And by Friday, right, I felt really good about what I was doing. It doesn't mean that like every single kid picked everything up, but like the goal was like, how do I make sure that they have a good time. How do I do some sort of community building element, whether it's amongst each other or with me so that we can start to get to know each other and trust each other. Um, How do I introduce a skill and how do I scaffold it? That makes rational sense that by the time I'm leaving, they can understand how we got there. Um, How do I incorporate those same skills in the warmup as in the meat drill? uh, So that like those same fundamental movements are carrying over. So that way we don't spend as much time fixing hips or heads or elbows Um, in those drills. How do I add a game? So it stays fun. And then for me, it's also like a decision-making thing. Um, I think under pressure, our prefrontal cortex definitely shuts off. But like, I think when we don't teach decision-making to kids and we say, here's a move, here's a move, here's a move. They don't understand how to make that leap and how to make that decision under pressure. And so spending a little bit of time talking about like, 
what's the pressure on your head? Where's my opponent's weight shifted? Where, where's their body in relation to mine? Um, and so like teaching that skill, um, whatever it might be, right. Like maybe if we're still doing high season, we're working knee slides, I'm working on getting my hips in, getting my hips in, shifting my opponent's weight across based on my knee slide, my ears staying tight, my elbows are pinched. Right. But now here comes the decision-making cue. Yeah. Is she pushing back into me and blocking that double? If she is, then I'm going to do the crackdown. If she's not blocking that double, then I'm going to go ahead and step up and get my hips across and step deep um, and finish. Right. And so like helping them recognize option A, option B. And then as we get better and, and more skilled in wrestling, like how does it become option A, B, C, D, right. And like continuing to build that, but like helping them think about those things, because I think most of their high school coaches or, or previous coaches were teaching like, here's X, here's X, here's Y, here's, you know, Z and not really helping them understand the correlation between those two. Um, and I think even though maybe I can't be at their practice every single day of the year or the season, how do I help them start to be a student of their body and of the position and being able to recognize where is pressure? Where's my partner? Where are her head, hips and hands? Um, where is she trying to take me in this position so that, you know, even if I'm not there, I can still have those internal thoughts and start to digest. Is that the best reaction that I can give here? Is there a simpler way for me to get up and alleviate this pressure? Um, and I think, you know, like, that's also a life skill, right? Being able to recognize how do I make decisions? Uh, Decision-making is a really hard thing that we also just like, well, they'll figure it out. <laughs> like, I think the more you teach them how to find and process information and how to make decisions, it's, it's helpful too, right? Um, that was, you know, kind of how I got to really starting to think about it. There's also another really good book. It's called Redesigning Youth Sport that talks about like, what are the variables to youth sport? How do you start to manipulate those things to really get the outcome that you want? And so they talk a lot about like, um, in basketball coaches, um, were stopping play to keep, to keep their starters in because they wanted to win the game. And so they put one coach for both teams instead of, um, instead of two coaches. So the coach always wins, right? And now it's about the athlete and not so much about the coach. Um, they made a minimum pass rule. So that way the athletes had to share the ball instead of one kid going up and down the court. Um, you know, like there's little things that they could do and that we could do in wrestling. We just mm -hmm. sometimes choose not to because we're, we're like, it must be this way or it's not wrestling when it's not true. Right. Sport is a creation by humans. <laughs> like yeah. we can change rules anytime we want to. That's how we got to the three point takedown. Yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> It's just like being flexible and, and noticing those things and like recognizing what are variables that I could potentially uh, change to get the, the outcome that I want. Mm-hmm. Wow. And you learned all that doing the burrows? Uh, yeah, I think like in trial and error, right? Like mm -hmm. how do you really help kids immediately like learn the skill and then be able to retain it, right? And then how do you put a little seed in their head that there's more to this sport than just the X's and O's and, and how does that carry over into life? Yeah. And um, I also noticed, you um, are you involved with the Evolve Leadership and Performance Training? Yeah, that is my business. Um, I started it, I think 2016, Terry and myself were writing a book for Qatar um, and their long-term athlete development plan. And I needed something to like be a shell so that I wasn't just putting my name in there because I was embarrassed and scared at the time. And so I thought like having this company as a DBA would, would kind of make it sound more official and add legitimacy to my name. Um, and also it's, it's nice. I also think it's I wouldn't want it to be named after me anyway. Uh, I guess what I'm trying to say. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
And so, yeah, I think evolve is like, have been, it's been an important piece of me, right? Like that's why I really love that word evolve. I think we're all in a constant state of evolution. Um, and so like, how can I help others evolve themselves? And so whether, uh, I did a sequence of, of series, a speaker series last summer, um, with coaches, like learning how to incorporate sports psychology skills into their everyday practice plans. Um, I do coaches clinics one-off, like I just spoke at the silver coaches college last weekend. Um, I do work one-on-one with athletes and coaches on, on mentorship, um, and like how to apply those sports psychology skills or, or maybe it's periodization and curriculum building or practice planning, or like really what are their things that they're looking to improve within themselves? Um, and how do we help them get there? And I think that's, that's, um, exciting to me. Like I told you earlier, like I really like a new challenge. Um, and sometimes if I just am doing the wrestling and just the coaching, it can be a bit of like a monotonous day for me. And so hearing someone else's story and really thinking deeply about like, what's the pathway for them to learn and grow and improve themselves. It's, it's rewarding. And it's also like a new challenge to keep you interested. Um, and obviously every person's different, but it's also like, what could I take from like that experience? That's going to like roll over to the girls that I see every day in our wrestling room that might be helpful for them that maybe I just overlooked before, or I assumed was a natural leap. Um, to make it easier for them. Yeah. Yeah. Good point there. You know, learning from as many people as you can, you can just get so many different nuggets that you might be able to throw at somebody and something might stick that you, you know, yeah, it's, it's always the least expected stuff that sticks to you. are like, right? I said that one time. <laughs> Yes. Oh, it's like my memory, you know, like, gosh, I remember just the most random things, but you know, when it comes down to like some important stuff, I'm like, oh shoot, I forgot, but I can remember, you know, random stuff. Yeah. It's funny. I don't know. Um, well, another question about your, your coaching, you know, you coach some really high level athletes, you know, and I'm just curious, how do you keep challenging them when they are at such a high level? You know, like you mentioned Amit, you know, um, how do you, somebody like that, how do you keep pushing them to get to another level when it seems like they're already at such a high level? I think it's hard, right? Like yeah. it's a bit of like, you're, you're pulling back the reins sometimes. And also other times you're like, no, 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 there's more, there's more. Um, and so it's like recognizing when things are going really well. Um, maybe they might be overtraining or maybe they're trying to, to do too much instead of like being patient and trusting the process. Um, and so like, sometimes you might have to pull them back because they're doing something that might hurt themselves or they're rushing through this. And, and, you know, I'm not so worried about like you giving up a takedown, but I am worried about you throwing yourself to your back. Um, <laughs> you know, like, um, so like what's the risk reward on like, the push. Right. And so sometimes you're the person pulling back the reins and sometimes you're saying, yeah, run with it. Um, other times it's like, when we sit down, what's really the evolution of your wrestling, right? Where do you want to be? Like, what are your goals? And, and looking at that, what do you think you need to have or possess, whether it's tactics, technique, whether it's strength, uh, whether it's mental skills, right? Like thinking about the holistic process or even just like your, your health, right? A lot of them have injuries. Um, and so how do we take care of your body in a way that's going to help you get to where you want to go? What skills do you need to possess? What experiences do you need to have, um, encountered to kind of help you become the next Olympic champion or to help you beat this person who you haven't beaten before. And I think when we think about like the holistic process and what our goals are and what it's going to take to get there, that's when we recognize like there's a hole here, there's a hole here, there's a hole here. Uh, And so like what's worth the time and the investment for us. um, And what's something that like 
could be a rabbit hole, you know, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you're, yeah. you're like endlessly working and we're not really seeing a ton of, of, op, uh, of like, um, reward for it. And so like, does that skill actually feed back into the wrestling that you already do? Does it feed back into the way that you wrestle the style that you wrestle? Or is this a position that we should just avoid? Like, yeah, it's a, it's a weakness, but that doesn't mean that I have to spend forever working on it to improve it. So it's a strength. It just might mean that like, I need to do a better job of stopping myself from getting to that position. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so kind of directing them that way. And it, it just starts with like that conversation and that relationship, um, you know, of like, where do you want to go? What do you need to do to get there? Um, and what things do we need to like truly master? I think Terry has, uh, you know, a perch chart that we used every year where like we measured the athletes or we had the volunteer coaches who came in, measured the athletes. And it would be like, uh, one to five scale and all these positions and all of these technical skills and, and strength conditioning, uh, attributes and characteristics and nutrition choices and stuff like that. But like we would rate the athlete's ability to execute that technique, um, both in practice and in competition, right? Like, yeah, maybe she can hit that in this situation, but she's not hitting that at the world championships or she's not hitting that on the next Olympic champion. And that gave us a list of like areas as a group where we really needed to like work to kind of improve our general number and our general education and abilities in those areas. Um, And so we would start with that and then we would have a meeting with the athlete and we would be like, tell us your goals, tell us where you want to go. And I would say like 90% of the time, what we thought and what they thought lined up. Right. But I think it was meaningful to them to be able to be like a part of that process and Uh not have those things like placed on them before they had the chance to speak and say what they needed to say. And, you know, it might be a worksheet that was handed to them before our, we did um, meetings twice a year where we sat down and talked about their goals, their focus areas, the competition schedule for the next six months, uh, the training schedule and training load. Right. Um, and it might be a sheet to prime them to think about those things, or it might just be open, right? Like Helen has already figured out over, you know, making world teams for X amount of years <laughs> over the last decade. Um, does she really need this sheet to prime her? Is she really thinking about those things? Most of the time, those more experienced athletes have thought about it, right? Where right. maybe someone who's on their first senior national team, who's like, I actually have no idea where I'm going with this. <laughs> <laughs> You know, and so they need that little bit of focus to help them find it. But uh, I think, yeah, it, it just we're all trying to, like, get them to a certain level. And, and there's certain skills that you actually you have to have. You have to have an attack to the left, an attack to the right and a front headlock. Right. It might be the same attack to the right and the left, but I've got to have something and I've got to be able to pull her head down and score over the top. I got to have all my defense lines, uh, my defense set. I can't tell her to only shoot single legs. So I have to learn my double, my high C, my, my single leg defense, right? Like I have to do those things, but, you know, helping them figure it out is, is the joy of the process. And then also letting them know, like you're doing too much. <laughs> <laughs> that's probably, that's, I wonder how, how difficult is that to let them know they're doing too much? I mean, that, I just feel yeah, like the other day a meet ran 120 flights of stairs, right? Like what, what are you doing? <laughs> You're getting ready for final legs, but yeah. you know, for her, she's just in the zone. She's like, you know, got her music going. She's thinking about life, thinking about, you know, like this competition, maybe she's got a little nerves. I don't know. Right. And she starts the workout and she still feels good and still feels good and still feels good and finishes the workout and feels good. Right. But mm-hmm. to that athlete in that moment, they're just, you know, got their blinders on and it's right. just every day at practice, you check in and you're like, I got to get to the end of this 
practice plan. And these are the things that I'm going to do. I know it's going to be hard. There might be a moment where I'm out of breath, but I'm going to get through it. Um, and so like, sometimes you have to like pull them back, whether it's for health issues, whether it's like, you're going down this thing that I don't think you're ever going to use. Uh, like let's get back on task and in these focus areas that we know we're going to utilize and implement right away. Um, Mm -hmm. doesn't mean that we can't explore new things, but I think it's like helping them get to know themselves. Yeah. Um, did you ever think that women's wrestling would get to this point? (laughs) And maybe a little me did not, but high school, when I first walked into the, um, USGWA was the, um, organization who was hosting nationals at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, when I walked into that and I saw like thousands of people, I was like, there's a whole world that like nobody told me about what, like what, um, you know, like I knew at that point that it was going to be, um, an incredible experience and it was going to continue to grow. It's, you know, I, I think even just this past year, right. We've reached over thousand high school wrestlers. We have 150 college programs. Um, you know, we have multiple Olympic medalists that we can brag about. <laughs> We've got so many world champions. We're, you know, knocking on Japan's door. Like I think you can see it coming. Sometimes it's frustrating to be patient, but mm-hmm. you can see it coming. Yeah. You know, that the, at the world cup this year, um, yeah, you could, you can see, like you said, sometimes it's frustrating to be patient because, you know, the World Cup, I, uh, the women got fourth, you mm-hmm. know, you were kind of like, this is, this could be our time, you know. We cannot get together for World Cup. That's yeah. my personal beliefs. I'm like, oh, this again. Yeah. We, lose we do so well when we're all, you know, peaking and mm-hmm. but World Cup. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I just also want to touch on real quick the incredible story of Adeline Gray. Um, you know, she posted on Instagram the other day, breastfeeding in between matches. I mean, what, I, I don't even know. I don't have the words I think at this point to, to say, you know, what, what she means and how incredible she is. And then today she posted a picture of her last year. She said that at this time last year, I was watching final X pregnant, like, Mm-hmm. She was like doing exercises and I'm just like, what well, this is just, I don't know. I don't know what to say. She's, she's unreal. You know, like I think the things that she's done for this sport and, and her ability to articulate herself and be confident and be brave and be the face, like being the face of, of wrestling is hard, you know, and, and yeah. to be the person that a lot of people pick on too about like her confidence about the fact that like she doesn't shy away from, from leaning into who she is. Um, I think she's done so much. I think every little girl, you know, even with the shoes, right. Most, most of our women have never had a shoe. And so I would say 98% of them have never had a shoe. And so for her to have a shoe, for her to be the face of the sport, for her to continually win and show up and show what the next, um, what the next version of her can be. I think it's incredible, right. To, for her to be vulnerable enough to share, like, I didn't know if I was ready. I don't know if I'm ready, uh, but I know that I will be, you know, I think that's a cool statement too, right? How many of us second guess our ability to perform? How many of us second guess our ability or our worthiness to even be out there, you know? And when you think about what she's done and the way she brings all of us in on her journey and, and is really like bringing us forward as a sport, right? Like a lot of the women, when they have a child, feel like they can't continue to compete. Uh, having children at the Olympic Training Center 
most of the time they don't want those kids on the mat. And so they'll tell you not to bring your kids. So now you have to figure out um, childcare. You have to figure out how you're going to pump during practice or if you cut weight, right. What are you going to do? Pump in the sauna? Uh, like, how are you going to manage your body? How are you going to recover? Um, how are you going to like have time to lift, to eat, to see sports med, to do all of those things, right? It's a full-time equipment to be a senior level athlete and to be truly pursuing those world titles and, and like to show how it's possible, but also like to show how tough it is. I think that's incredible. And then you think about like the struggles that she's going through now are the same struggles that Deanna Ricks and, and Catherine Shy were having when they had young girls in, in Lee Jane's, when they had young kids and they were still trying to finish their careers mm-hmm. and like, think about the struggles that they had versus the struggle that Adeline's heading now. And like, where does that leave us in five to 10 years? Will they actually have like access to childcare during practice? Will there be resources to help them travel to international competitions where they're not, you know, paying for extra baggage for their kids, where they're not um, paying out of pocket for an au pair to come with them or a loved one to come with them to take care of those kids during the tournament. Uh, or are we all just taking turns juggling the baby while she wrestles, you know, whether you're, yeah. you're an athlete, right? Like you've got to think that the evolution is coming and it, a lot of it drives from her. It drives from her advocacy. It drives from her willingness to, to be confident and not be ashamed to ask for what she needs. And, and she's like an athlete committee uh, spokesperson uh, within USA wrestling. She's done her time with the Olympic committee too, of speaking up about, uh, um, for other athletes and advocating for their rights and what they need and, and their support that they're receiving from their various NGBs. I think like she's a true leader. She's a true leader and a role model. And I'm really excited for, for her. I'm happy for her. Um, and I'm also excited to see like what happens when her career ends. Is she going right. to take over USA wrestling and just like <laughs> making changes left and right? Uh, and, and, you know, like, what is that going to look like? But I, I'm excited. I think yeah. she, she's incredible. Yeah. I want to also mention real quick, like you said, there were other, she's not the first, there have been other women athletes and wrestlers specifically that have done the same thing. Um, she just has now the platform to show with Instagram and social media and stuff. So shout out to the other you know, women, yeah, the other moms. Yeah. The other moms, how many yeah. Babies I've held at the Olympic training center during practice. Like, <laughs> yeah. A good amount though. Like it's yeah. surprising. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it was just extremely, it was extremely powerful. And then add on to that chance Marsteller and what he did. It was just, it was a very impactful final X to say the least. I think it's emotional. it was yeah. emotional. And I think like the year before the Olympics, people are like, recognizing that lots on the line, you know, the ability to have an advantage at the Olympic trials, um, the ability to be the one to qualify the weight, to qualify your weight um, for the Olympics, the, the, you know, ability to win an Olympic medal or a world medal that puts you in, you know, ranking points going into the Olympics, right? Like all of those things carry weight. And, uh, like it, it's a huge opportunity and you could feel it like everybody wanted it. Um, yeah. and, and like, there were some really amazing matches and, and talented people just going out there and, and letting it fly. Yeah. Cause real quick on the opposite side, you got to feel for Kennedy blades. Oh, man. <laughs> you know? I feel bad for, uh, for Kennedy. I feel bad for Katie. I feel bad for Audrey, yeah. you know, like I feel bad for Jordan too. Right. Like, right. like it, it hurts. It really hurts, but it's also so encouraging to see like the depth. And I, I spent some time with, with Kennedy um, over the past and Audrey and, and Katie over the past few years, it'd be like, 
they're, they're resilient enough to like take this as a lesson and, and also like a learning experience. I know that it's extremely painful and, and they wanted it and they worked for it, but like, think about like, um, Adeline losing in 2008 to Elena Piroskova at 63 kilos, right? Like to Helen losing to, to, um, Kelsey Campbell, right? Like all of those, those people who are like knocking at the door have found ways to reframe, to repurpose and, and refocus on the next thing. Right. And they're all going to compete at U 20 worlds. And I'm so excited for that try. Like that world championship is going to be crazy. Yeah. I'll probably compete at U 23s again, gaining international experience opportunities to win belts, bring it home, add it to their <laughs> closets of, you know, all of that they've already achieved at 19 that, you know, I'm 32 and I still, wish I had right like <laughs> it's impressive uh, I want to uh, just wrap up with this Emma I appreciate the time this has been phenomenal um, you know if there's another Emma Randall out there listening you know what advice do you have to the younger generation of, of female wrestlers or female um, female athletes who might want to pursue coaching whether that's wrestling um, maybe specifically wrestling, but w- what advice do you have that you have garnered through your journey to get to where you are now? Um, just, yeah. What do you, what kind of advice do you have to, for them? Yeah. I, thank you for having me on. This has been really fun. I've enjoyed talking with you so much. Um, I guess I would start with just find your people, right? Like the people who love and support you, uh, the people who see the picture that you have in your mind of where you want to be. And maybe even they see something a little bit more in you than that you saw in yourself. Um, I think for me, like, it's those mentors like Terry who, who challenged me and pushed me. Um, but also those people like my peers, like Jackie Davis, who, you know, like we were both young coaches and could text each other. Like you would not believe what happened to me today. What do you think? <laughs> like how do I solve this issue? You know? So you have like your brain trust of people who are pushing you, people who are helping support you, people who are, you know, going through it with you. And I think another thing that you need is just like, recognizing what your strength is and, and also recognizing like, where do you, where did, what makes you feel uncomfortable, right? Like what makes you feel vulnerable and like you need to like close the gap. And for me, that was like a certification didn't really make me feel like I have reached the threshold that I need to, but it made me feel like, Hey, I'm out here doing the work and I'm out here seeking the education that's, you know, necessary for me to become a good coach. And I'm, I might never achieve being a perfect coach, but you know what? I'm always constantly seeking those things out. And so like, for me, it's taking a random class or, or buying a book and reading it or, sitting in on somebody else's practice and taking notes about like what I see and the things that are really cool that maybe I should incorporate into my own stuff. Right. For, for somebody else, it might be like, Hey, I just need to practice my public speaking because sometimes when I get up there, I feel uncomfortable. Um, and then just knowing your strengths, right. What makes you unique? It doesn't have to be something huge or flashy. It's just like, how do I own that space and and really like let the piece of me that's most confident shine because there's going to be days where, where you lack confidence. And those are the times you call your friends, um, and your mentor, but there's also those days where like I don't need to be perfect but I am still going to share this small nugget and that's going to be good enough for this moment and you know what? I'm going to come back to you with a better answer or I'm going to come um, tomorrow a little bit more prepared and just leaning into those strengths and owning your space um, and and really just like leaning into your peers I think that's huge pieces of, of life and, and coaching mm-hmm. yeah wow well yeah again I, I appreciate it this has been very insightful for me you know um now, just honestly, just a couple personal questions, if you don't mind. Yeah, I'm uh, not mad at all. Are you married? Are you married? 
Uh, we are engaged. Yeah. Wow. Congrats. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We're, uh, trying to figure out where and when is the next step. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, any, any thoughts on that? Um, I don't know. Right. Like I think having a wedding in New York city is crazy expensive and that sounds terrible. Um, I also think like, when's the right time? Do you you build it around your wrestling season? And then you think about like, um, Amit has all three world championships. So potentially like, where do you squeeze in a wedding this summer? Um, and so is it better to like do like a small ceremony with your partner and, and have a dinner with your family and friends and not really worry about making it a big thing? Um, because you know, like, we've been together for, for enough and our love is not so much for the flashiness. It's, it's the every day and like the, the grind that we go through together to push each other and and make this work. And so like, as long as she's there and and the people we care about are there, I think that's exciting and it's lovely. Um, whether it's a big ceremony or, or a dinner, right? Like you just going four hours across the street. (laughs) (laughs) Oh no, that's still, that's still exciting. You know, how long have you been engaged? Um, she proposed to me in December. Okay. Yeah. So not long, not long, but we've also been like thinking like, do you need to have a wedding or a ring to like start the family process? And so we're like, forget the traditional timelines. How do we make this whole thing work? Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, congratulations. That's so, dang. So it's only, it's been like six months. Yeah. Yeah. Only six months. It feels like longer, but it's been good. <laughs> yeah. Um, what, what is like your ultimate goal? I guess like, you know, it seems like you, but you've already achieved a ton, but what? Like, I don't where, know. Right. Where, like where did, where you're, do you, you're only 32. You yeah. <laughs> what do you want to do? I, I know like I want to continue coaching people. I don't know yeah. if I want to coach athletes or if I want to coach coaches. I don't really know. Right. Like, I don't think the level matters to me. I think like I've had enough amazing opportunities to last a lifetime and something great happens. Like that's awesome. I'll coach whatever level or, or be a part of someone's journey at whatever level. Mm-hmm. I don't think I need that affirming moment like anymore. I think like I have enough trust and faith in myself that like whatever's happened in the past is, is amazing. But like, every day moving forward is another opportunity to help someone. And that itself is amazing. Um, and so like, those are kind of where I see myself. I see myself continuing to, to learn and grow and stretch, um, taking on new challenges, but I'm not really sure what those are. Right. Like, yeah. I just know that they involve humans. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I guess the last question I just have just to kind of close things out. Um, what do you do for fun? You know, you, you spend a lot of time. It seems like putting a lot of energy and effort into your athletes and your coaching and your everyday job. Like, how do you just take a step back and just like chill? <laughs> Cause everything that um, seems like you're doing is so high level. You know, like I think everything that every person does, like, I'm like, wow, you get all that done on a daily basis. That's crazy. Um, yeah every life is busy like that. And we're achieving so much We're I think we're a little too hard on ourselves, but for us, we, we love to uh, lay on the couch and watch trash television. We love to, uh, what's trash out. television. What do you watch? Oh man. Did you watch queer love ultimatum? That was no. crazy trash. Um, <laughs> we also like love is blind. All of those kind of okay. like, Beck is very much into reality television, which I was not previously. Yeah. Was it her birthday the other day? It was, it was. Oh, happy birthday. I thought I saw that on your Instagram. 
Yeah. Happy birthday to her. Yeah. So I, I think we like those things. We like hanging out. We like going to grab food. Um, we like to go to the city and explore, eat different foods, go to a, a various um, restaurants and grab an appetizer and then walk to the next one, shop along the really? way. Really? So you just yeah. like go to different restaurants and just get an appetizer? I mean, it's like oh lovely. God, Imagine that awesome. like, there's so many options over there. Like it's, I point because like, uh, that's Manhattan right there. But like, uh, you know, it's like so nice to have delicious food <laughs> of any yes. kind. That sounds like something me and my like that would be a date that like me and my wife would like to do. Yeah, you guys should do it. We call it a food crawl. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Well, yeah, sorry. I, I just wanted to just touch learn a little bit more about you, you know, Emily. This is no, I'm, really I'm, awesome and great. I just I appreciate this and all that you've done for the sport. And um as somebody who like I guess I want, I see, and I want to get more, more involved in women's wrestling. However, my issue is like, I don't necessarily want to take the spot of a woman. Mm-hmm. It's hard. It's hard, right? Like, unless you step forward, those girls don't have the resource, right? And so you have to step forward, but then also making space for that woman in that role too, right? And so like saying like, hey, I can't do this full time, but can I do this part time and help out and I think it would be really cool if we brought in so-and-so another space would be like, you know, maybe you're doing part, you're doing full-time because the person that you had in mind to kind of help or push into that position isn't willing or able to do that full-time. And so like having them come in, having, having them like volunteer or help out and coaching, giving them purpose and continually asking until they come uh, and inviting them into that space. I think all of those things matter, right? Like, imagine if no one if we were all just waiting for a woman to step into that role no we probably wouldn't be here right yeah uh, I, I actually have never had a female coach um in in the sport of wrestling so like I have had males who have made it accessible to women like my college coach brought back Sarah McMahon and, and had her speak to us um you know Terry does a really good job bringing in volunteers and women into into the national team um I think it's like, I can hold a space, but like, how do I bring women along with me? And, and that's fine. Right. That's exciting. And it's encouraging because at the end of the day, the work, the, the work of like growing the sport is on all of us. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and sometimes pulling the, the women back into coaching or pulling them into coaching with zero experience is the hardest thing. Um, and so how do you like showcase that they're worthy, that they're talented? How do you um, mentor them to help them build the skills that maybe they need? Um, some people do like the woman's the head coach. Um, and maybe she doesn't have a ton of, of wrestling experience, but like she's taking the, the copper and the bronze certifications. She's leaning on the USA wrestling curriculum videos to kind of like learn and teach herself. And she's taking jujitsu classes to try and learn more, but you're per- kind of the person who's like there to be the technical feedback. Um, I think all of those things are valid. However, we, we can to continue to like add spaces for women, right? It doesn't have to be a traditional, like this is the only way you can be a coach or these are the things that you have to have. But mm-hmm. I think uh, the hardest piece is literally getting them to come <laughs> mm-hmm. because they're going to be like, oh no, I, I can't. Oh no, I'm not prepared. Oh no, this is going on, right? Like finding those solutions, whether it's you're watching the kids and so she can lead the practice or, you know, like there's always just like little things of, of ways to, to open the door. Put my head on.
Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Let's Talk Wrestling Podcast. Special thanks to my guest, Emma Randall, for taking the time to sit down and chat with me. Cover art created and designed by Kristen Gill. Please feel free to rate, comment, and subscribe to this podcast. You can check me out on Twitter, Instagram, and my brand new Facebook page to hear more of my content. And don't forget to check out my website at letstalkwrestlingpodcast.my.canva.site. And as always, be sure to tune in to hear the next guest of the Let's Talk Wrestling Podcast. Take care. See you next time.